It is from the prophecy of Jeremiah. We'll be reading Jeremiah 31. Restoration of Israel. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coast of the earth and with them the blind and the lame and the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles far off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, 
Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Set thee up way, way marks, make thee high heaps. Set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth, a woman shall compass a man. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as yet they shall use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof, when I shall bring again their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all the cities thereof together husbandmen and they that go forth with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Upon this I awakened and beheld, and my sleep was sweet unto me. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down, to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, which by covenant they break, Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. 
and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, that giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Haniel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall go out forth over against it upon the hill Garav, and shall compass about to Goath. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes, and all the fields unto the brook of the Kidron, unto the corner of the house gate toward the east shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up, nor throw down any more forever. Especially it's the verses 18 and 19 in connection with Lord's Day 33. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus, thou hast chastened me. And I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Lord's Day 33 of the Catechism. Just as the Catechism talks about true faith over against counterfeit faith, now the Catechism also speaks about true conversion, not just the outward sorrow for sin. Of how many parts doth the true conversion of man consist? Question 88. Of two parts. Of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. Question 89. What is the mortification of the old man? Answer. It is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and to flee from them. What is the quickening of the new man? Question 90. Answer, it's a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Question 91. But what are good works? Answer only those that proceed from a true faith are performed according to the law of God 
and to his glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we considered our calling to live thankfully. We are called to live in gratitude and produce good works. But now tonight we look at how is this possible that we can live before the Lord and that we can walk in good works. And the answer is only through God's work of conversion taught in these couple verses of Jeremiah 31. What a beautiful comfort is brought by the weeping prophet to God's people who are in Babylon. They are being chastised for their sins. And they later on will have to be able to say, affliction has been for my prophet. For when they return again from Babylon, when God brings them back out again, which this whole chapter is about, they will never again fall into the sin of idolatry. Oh, they will have other sins, formality in worship instead of from the heart, but not the sin of idolatry. What a comfort. That chapter, if you noticed, begins with the covenant and continues with the covenant theme, doesn't it? At the same time, saith the Lord, chapter 31, verse 1, will I be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. We had that again, I believe, in verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with thee, the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it upon their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. There is the comfort, there is the hope for each one of us sinners. But the Lord knows his own. He is long-suffering, full of mercy, and he will turn us. Turn us from our sins to himself in faith. True conversion, notice it's a radical turning. Notice, second of all, it is a work of God. And then notice, thirdly, that it is a Fruitful turning. It is a radical turning. It is a spiritual change in the elect sinner. That sinner is turned from his sins and his serving Satan. He is turned to God in Christ Jesus. The Hebrew word and the Greek word the words in the Old Testament and New Testament for conversion both mean a turning around, a complete turnaround, not just a little bit change in direction, but from serving sin, hell-bound, we are turned around to God in Christ Jesus. We turn our back to sin, we hate sin, we flee from it, and we hold on by faith 
to our God in Christ Jesus. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we read, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye unto me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and, <coughs> excuse me, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of evil. What a call that is to repentance. Turn, reverse direction. Oh, the transformation of a life that is hell-bent, serving sin and the pleasures of this world, to now serve God in Christ Jesus. In the heart. In, in the heart, Scripture, the heart designates the entirety of that inner person, that inner man, that is the mind, these emotions, his will, his actions. True repentance requires, first of all, the realization of the grievous nature of our sin. Only when we have that grievous Sorrow for sin will we delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Joel chapter 2 verse 12 it's called a fasting. Refusing to engage in the ordinary things for our body in order that we may focus upon our sins. Fasting and weeping and mourning. It is therefore the resolute turning from sin to God for his mercy. You notice from Joel 2, that's why we, our catechism talks about true conversion. Because there is counterfeit conversion. That is, there is a counterfeit sorrow. It might be a sorrow for the consequences of sin, but it is not a sorrow that we have offended God. And that's why in Joel chapter 2, it's not the external garments that are supposed to be ripped with the ashes on our head, but rather from the heart, the mind, the whole life. We hate sin, we turn from it. Do you know that sorrow for sin? Ask God. Ask God to show you clearly your sins. That you may be humbled and you may be sorry that you have brought that offense against your God in Christ Jesus. For God is gracious. What an encouragement to repent. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is of great kindness. Or let me read again the words of our text, verses 18 and 19 of Jeremiah 31. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, thus thou hast chastised me and I was chastised, 
turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. You see there, it's the Lord's work, and we're going to get to that in the second point. He shows us our sin, and he chastises us in order that we realize what we did wrong. Boys and girls, do you remember in catechism, when we went through the period of judges, there was that huge circle that we drew on the whiteboard with the four S's on it. The people would fall into sin. And with their sin, God brought suffering. And sometimes it took 20 and 22 years of suffering before finally it produced that sorrow for their sin. And only in that sorrow for sin was salvation or deliverance given to them. God shows us our sin by chastening us. Chastisement has been for my, and affliction has been for my benefit. One more text. Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 23. That she put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Attorney. For some, that conversion could be known by the very day. The thief on the cross was there also ridiculing with the other thief, the Lord Jesus. Both of them were reviling him, saying, come down, save yourself and save us too. Until finally something happened, and the one thief rebuked the other. Yes, he knew the day that he was turned from himself and from sin to the Christ, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And the Apostle Paul knew the very day of his conversion. There he was on the road to Damascus to put believers in Jesus Christ in prison or even to death. And he was stopped in his tracks. And the voice of Jesus came to me, came to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He was turned. But the emphasis of Scripture is not just that day. Most of us who are raised in a Christian home won't know that day because we were taught by our parents from early childhood of our sinfulness and our need for Jesus Christ, our need for us to flee from our sins and to strive to live in gratitude for our salvation. Most of us will not know that original day that we're converted Many of us had that new birth given to us in our mother's wombs. Just as we have several women of our congregation who are carrying babies in their wombs, we believe that that gift is given for many of us already in our mother's wombs early in life. It is a continual mortification. That is the emphasis of Scripture. Turned again and again and again from our sin. All we have to do is look at the Old Testament Israel throughout their history. 
They would have godly kings and they would serve the Lord for a while, but even sometimes the godly kings would fall into sin and turn the whole congregation to sin. And time and time again, the Lord would have to come with his word and say, Turn, turn ye from your sins, turn to me. And what is that conversion, that daily conversion that we are, that must be about? And the answer is two big words. It is a continual mortification and it is a continual quickening of the new man. It is a mortification of the old man. Now, boys and girls, what is that big word, mortification? Well, if any of you kids have been down to a funeral home, the director of the funeral home is called a mortician. He's called a mortician because he deals with dead bodies. He has to make them presentable so that they, they can be viewed and then they can be laid in the ground. Mortification then means the putting to death. Putting to death that old man. Now we better explain, what is that old man that we're supposed to be putting to sin? I'm an old man, but that doesn't mean that. But when it says that old man, that word old, it's as old as Adam, from whom it came. From Adam and Eve, all they could produce is sinful children. They could not convert any of them. All that come into this world have sin in them. They are sinful, depraved. It is called the old man because sin is in every part of us, in our soul, in our hearts, in our minds, in our willing, in our desiring, in our actions. That old man had a complete control over us. We could do nothing good in ourselves. And repentance, that is godly sorrow, is the killing of that old man of sin that is very necessary in our salvation. By nature, we were completely underneath the power of sin. It makes us want to hate God, to hate his law. It makes us want to love Satan and love the pleasures of this world and the pleasures of the flesh. That power of sin over us has to be broken broken in our hearts if we're going to have fellowship with God. And God does that, as we're going to see, by the Holy Spirit. So what is this repentance? It is a sincere sorrow, not just an outward activity. It's a sincere sorrow. It's a pain. It's a grief in us that we have sinned against God. It also requires then the radical action of turning away, away from the sin. It's easy to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But am I really sorry? Am I sorry in my heart so that I hate sin and I strive not to fall into that sin again and again and again? 
Repentance must be complete. Deliberately, willfully living in a hatred of sin for those who willingly continue in their sins, they might say they're sorry, but that is a false repentance. They're fooling themselves. So what is true conversion? It is putting to death that old man that was our master, putting him to death, hating sin. Second of all, True conversion is then the quickening of that new man in Christ. Quickening means to make alive, to make active. It is to seek to live out of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus living in us and now living out of him. He giving us the grace that new life given in regeneration, that seed of faith, that life of Christ extends to the whole person, their heart, their mind, their will, their desires, their actions. And we have to quicken it. And how do we quicken it? By hearing God's word, right? by seeking what God's will is, of knowing the nature of our sin, growing in our knowledge of sin. So things that when we were young, we really didn't think they were all so bad, but as we grow older, we say, now I see the sin of it. Now I know why dad and mom were warning me about this or about that. This quickening of the new man is a heartfelt joy in God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the joy and the delight of the child of God, the believer. And the more that we sorrow for our sin, the more that we are going to delight in Christ Jesus. We are going to delight in living according to the will of God. We're not going to do whatever is right in our own eyes, but we're going to seek to be obedient to God, obedient to his word, to his law. A radical turning. Do you see that in your life? And do you thank God for it? Do you see the need for continually, day after day, that more and more we put off that old man and more and more we put on the new man? Those two parts. Notice with me in the second place then that it is a work of God. Oh yes, in Joel... It comes there, the word of God. Rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. But how in the world can the sinner turn to God? And the answer is, it is a gracious work of God. That's important to understand for two different reasons. First of all, Conversion is not a prerequisite for us, something that we have to do before God will work in us. Often sinners are told that they have the power to convert themselves. 
recognize your sin and turn yourselves to the Lord, and then he will come to you and help you and bless you. That would give really no assurance because in us there is not that power itself to turn. You could say to a dead man laying there in a coffin, get up, live. Well, boys and girls, is that man going to sit up in the coffin? No, he's dead. He can't even hear that voice. He doesn't, isn't able to sit up. That's why regeneration is first of all necessary. God has to create in us that new life, that new heart, so that there is then a hearing of the call of the gospel. Then we learn our sin and we know our need for Christ Jesus. God has to do that work. Parents, are you able to convert your children? As much as you would love to be a good influence in their life, you can't change their hearts, can they? As parents, you pray for your children. You pray that God will turn their hearts to him. As a congregation, can we convert anyone? The answer is no. We can bring the gospel to them. But now it's up to God for them to create new life in them so that they have ears to hear what the Spirit says unto them. That they own their sin and they see their need for Christ Jesus. Young guys or young girls, perhaps you're dating. You can't work conversion of that person that you're dating. In other words, Dating is not a mission field. That's why you should date only those who are believers in Christ Jesus. Notice I'm saying believers in Christ Jesus. I'm not, first of all, emphasizing Protestant Reformed boys and girls. More important than their being Protestant Reformed is, are they a true child of God? Only then will you be compatible. The Bible warns about being mismated, believers with unbelievers. What part does Christ have with Belial? None of us can bring about this change in the heart of another person. We can't even do it for ourselves. We look to God in Christ Jesus. And how does God convert us? He gives us, first of all, new hearts. And only with those new hearts in regeneration then do we have the ears to hear when he says, turn away from your sin. Recognize your sin. We hear the call of the gospel. As we heard there from Psalm 65, which was our call to worship, it is God who in his mercy and his grace chooses us in eternity and causes us to approach. That is the calling of the gospel. Not only the external call that comes to many different ears, but it is that inward work of the Holy Spirit where we personally are called by God to repent of our sins, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's not an offer of salvation, but it is the demand, it is the command of the gospel. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So having chosen us, having given us new life, having called us by the gospel, he infuses faith into us so that we are able to embrace that gospel. For the person without that work of Christ within them, they will hate the gospel. They don't want to be told that they're awful sinners. But the child of God in whom God is working, they are brought to that sincere sorrow for their heart, in their hearts for their sins. Yes, God uses means, doesn't he, to convert us. He uses those means every Sunday. His Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. Turn ye, turn ye from your wicked ways. How I need to hear that week after week. How each one of God's children need to hear that because so easily we fall into our sins. And as we said here in our passage in Jeremiah chapter 31, the Lord uses also chastisements in the life of his children. We read in Jeremiah 31 verse 28, And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down, to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. Chastisements given to us. Chastisements so that we are stopped. And that's where I used earlier that, that thing of the book of Judges, right? God's people walk in sin. He sends suffering in their life. Affliction has been for my prophet. For through that affliction, I look away from myself in sorrow to the God that I have offended. God brought Israel during the period of Jeremiah down to Babylon. Because of her terrible sins, she saw the ten tribes taken away by Assyria, but she wasn't warned enough. She continues in the same sins herself. The Lord afflicts her for 70 years so that there is a remnant that he brings back and reestablishes in his own land. And that is a type, isn't it? What took place there and Israel and going down to Babylon is a type of our deliverance. We are chastised by the Lord. We recognize his hand heavy upon us as David did. And we confess our sins and he forgives us. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Turn thou. You see, we are also involved in this, aren't we? It is God's work in us by his word and spirit, but him working in us. We recognize our sins, we hate our sins, we confess our sins. That is necessary for a true conversion. 
Some of you might have heard that also in the speeches that were given yesterday and the day before on abuse. Those who abuse people in the church. They have to first of all recognize the sin. And recognizing the sin then own it. I am the pers that person that has abused these people, these lambs or sheep. And having recognized that sin in their life and owning it, then have be filled with a godly sorrow. And not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I did that. Yes. But a sorrow that shows itself. That's true conversion by turning away from sin. And that is why there sometimes or quite often should be a period of probation. It's easy to say with the lips. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, is that sorrow from the heart. It's easy to rend the garments outward, but is it a sorrow of the heart that leads to genuine repentance and hatred of sin? What a constant struggle. Are you struggling? That's why in the prayer I talked about we need to be strengthened with God's word here because we're going back out into a battle every day of our life. Satan's going to come with this temptation. Then he'll come with this temptation. The world will come with these pleasures. And my sinful flesh says, I like those things. I want those things. I want to do that too. And by God's grace, we say, but no. The young couple on a date, we all have a sinful flesh. And sitting close to each other, you want to go further. You want to enjoy one another's bodies and closeness of it like a married couple would. And that's where constant conversion means we say, no. No, I'm not going to put myself in that kind of situation that will lead me for long hours all alone with a date doing things that I should not do, we have to say, no. No, that's not what Christ wants of me. You businessmen in your work, you can cut corners, save some money, overcharge. Is that really the way that Christ wants you to do your business? Or do you want to be an honest businessman, giving the best product for the money that is paid for it? Boys and girls, as you go to school, will you obey your teachers? Will you honor your teachers? Will you be respectful of your teachers? The sinful flesh says, nah, if I can get away with something, if the teacher isn't looking, I can do this, I can do that. I can maybe cheat on a test. Or what about boys and girls when you're on the playground? Are you kind to all of your classmates or are you going to pick on this student or pick on that kind of student? And I hope to talk at the chapel this week at our school regarding that. We need to say to our sinful man that is within us, no, no, don't pick on that person. Don't try to be like everyone else and put that person down, but be a friend instead to them active, actively saying no to sin and yes to God's good will. 
That is the antithesis, isn't it? The antithesis that we have to live each day. That means that then that new man has to be strengthened for that. We need God's word, not only on Sundays being preached, but we need God's word in our devotions, in our private lives, in our family life. That we may see our sins. And from seeing our sins, we may see the Christ that God gave. And then we will want to live for him. We will engage in that battle with our old man to live the new life. We will engage in running that race that is set before us, a difficult race. Times we're going to stumble in that race, aren't we? But God's grace is great. He is merciful. He picks us up when we fall at times. When we're running the wrong way, he turns us around again back to himself. Daily conversion. That is the only way that we are going to enjoy fellowship with our God. Yes, he is a covenant God, but he is a God who is angry with sin. We've heard that, didn't we, from Isaiah chapter 12. But though he was angry with us, his anger was turned away on Christ, and you and I, in gratitude, want to live for him. We want to be that tree that is planted next to that stream of water, our roots in Christ Jesus, so we grow up to be tall trees, not swayed by the sinful flesh, not swayed by the pleasures of this world around here or the temptations of Satan as he blows against us, but living for Christ Jesus. It's a radical turning, beloved. It's a work of God in us by his grace and mercy, and then notice thirdly, it is a fruitful turning. Fruitful. We are going to seek God's grace every day. We're going to say, Lord, I can't stand and I can't live like a Christian even one moment or one day without thy grace upholding me, leading me, guiding me. A life of good work. That's what true conversion produces in us. A life of good works. And the source of those good works is that converted heart. Not a hard heart, not a heart of sin anymore, but a broken heart where Christ is seated. Where Christ rules in us. Where Christ guides us. Any person who says, I hate sin, but willingly walks back in it, is kind of like that pig. You can wash it nice and clean for the day at the fair, but just as soon as it gets warm again, it's going to go right back to its filth. Oh, may God keep us from fake conversions, counterfeit conversions, saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But true conversion, a genuine sorrow for sin, hatred for sin, fleeing for sin, living for Christ Jesus. That conversion, beloved, is evident in a life of humble submission to God and his will for us. Not saying, I know best. 
I'm going to determine what I'm going to do with my life. No. Submission to God's word. So what makes a work a good work? And that's why I like Lord's Day 33, because we have such a beautiful definition of what are good works. If one looks back in our history, if only the leaders of that church back there in 1924 would have looked at the definition of what is a good work, we would not have had that heresy of common grace. Common grace said, God, by a grace that doesn't save, but a grace is for every person, the, the reprobate also, enables them to do good. They are restrained from sins by him. They're even offered the gospel, if only they're willing to accept it. Can the reprobate, can the wicked do good works? What is the definition of a good work? It is, first of all, it proceeds from a true faith. As the scripture says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Does it proceed from faith? Is it done in accordance with God's law? So not just outward works, but what is, what is the concept of the law? It's love, love for God and love for the neighbor. The wicked don't have that love. And it's thirdly done for the glory of God. The reprobate never, never does it for the glory of God. He might do it so that he gets his name put over the name of a hospital or of a museum or different places. The wicked can never do good works, but the child of God, by the grace of God, whose heart is changed continually, loves the Lord. It's by faith in Christ Jesus I see myself as a new creature who believes that Christ works in me by his Holy Spirit and word. Proceeds from faith. What is a good work? It's done according to the law of God. What does God say is good? And what does God say is evil? And it is done for the glory of God. Notice the standard of good works then. The law of God. God alone sets the standard for what is good. And that alone is good. What are some wrong standards? As you say, I want to live a life of good works for God's glory, for the good of my neighbor. Some wrong standards? I'm going to let my conscience be my guide. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, man's conscience is sinful and is hardened just as the rest of the old man is. A second standard might be, well, my church or my pastor says this is okay and this is good. But who is that pastor and what is that church? For example, Rome forbids 
marriage to its priest. And so there's all kinds of unwanted abuse by their priests. It demands fasting during Lent. Many other laws contrary to Scripture. Well, you say, but we go to a Reformed church. Well, look around at Reformed churches. Women holding ecclesiastical office. Or other Reformed churches, one can divorce their spouse for almost any reason and can marry another person. Other make rules that are, are absolutely necessary to have total abstinence from any alcohol. Where does the scripture say something like that? It does say something about being drunken, doesn't it? So we don't necessarily say, I'm going to be guided because my church says this is okay, therefore I can do it. No. Or still others will say, but I'm sincere in my life. I might do some wrong, but I'm sincere in trying to do the best thing. Well, being sincere, beloved, is not enough. We must listen and we must live according to God's standard. His written word. Once written. Never failing. Never falling away. Never changing. I live by faith. According to God's law. Always for God's glory, not my own. Is that the goal of your life? Boys and girls, is that the goal of going to school tomorrow? If you have school, that is. That God may be glorified by the way you're a student or the way you treat your classmates on the playground? Husbands and wives, is that your goal? That in your marriage, God may be glorified? Not that your human flesh is satisfied. You who are single. Is your singleness something that you fight against? Or you say, if the Lord wills, I might get married. But if the Lord doesn't, then I'll use my single life for the glory of the kingdom. And for the broader family that I'm a part of. Business people. Mothers in the home is glory of your God the goal of your life? Of what you think, of what you watch, what you listen to, what you speak, what you do. To God be the glory by a life of true conversion. Daily, daily turning from your sinfulness, turn to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray that our sorrow is not just an outward behavior or a few words from our lips, but that it is a rending of our heart, sincere, so that we hate sin, we flee from sin, we fight against sin, and we turn to thee in true faith, dependence, and trust. Thou art our God. And thou wilt be glorified in us by thy work in us. We thank thee, Father, for thy Holy Spirit then. We thank thee for thy word. 
And may thy word then be that lamp to our feet and that light upon our path for grateful, Christian, obedient lives lived for thee. Amen.